As we continue in our greater series, we have dove deep into Jesus' last week before his crucifixion. And Jesus has been teaching his disciples important truths about the kingdom of God. He has been telling them that serving is greater than being served. He has established that relationship is greater than religion. And last week we heard and we saw that the Holy Spirit in you is greater than Jesus beside you. But then he does the most amazing thing in all of Scripture, and he spends the 17th chapter in its entirety of the book of John in a prayer. It is so amazing. The passage is commonly known as the, highly, the high priestly prayer, and in this prayer, Jesus, he prays for himself, he then prays for his disciples, and then prays for all of his church. Now, we're going to focus on the last two of those this morning. And that's going to be focusing on praying for his disciples and all of his church. I don't know if you caught that, all of his church, which means he prayed for you. Now, there's a statement that gets, or a phrase that gets passed around at the office quite a bit when some guys are trying to get some guys kind of goaded a little bit into uh, this particular challenge or whatever. You'll hear, let's go! <laughs> they just think somebody's about to, you know, bite off a little more than they can chew maybe. But let's go. Jesus prayed for you. Jesus prayed for me. That's what it makes me feel like when I think about that for that Jesus, my Savior, Lord, he prayed for me. And you need to catch that this morning. He prayed for you. Now, as we begin to dive in, we're going to be looking at the fact that our bottom line is that greater in the series that being in the world is greater than being of the world. And we're going to find that as we begin to dive into John 17 today. As I said, we're going to be looking at the last two pieces of this high priestly prayer that begins in verse 14. We'll go to it in a minute. But first, before we get there, we need to look at some things that begin to establish for us what it means to be in the world and not of the world. So a great picture of this is going to come up on the screen behind me, and I don't need a, oh, I got one over here, all right? But this is called a water spider. Now, a water spider is a spider that will live most of its entirety underwater, all right? And it does this by a combination of tools, all right? It has this tool set that God has given it, and in this environment by which normally would destroy it, it survives. Now, we can learn a great deal from this spider. We can learn a great deal from it. Let me tell you how it works, all right? So the spider will take, and he will begin to spin a web out of silk, and as he does, he does a web that's like a basket, all right? And I don't know why I'm saying he, it, all right? So it spins a web uh, like a basket. It goes under the water, and it attaches this basket-like web to a plant, or an object under the water. 
then it ascends to the surface and it captures a surface air bubble. And then it will bring that surface air bubble down to this underground house, inject it in, and it will do it over and over and over again until it has collected enough air to sustain it for whatever prescribed length of time that God has given this spider to be able to sustain his life until he starts the process over again. Now, some of you out there are going, okay, he's underwater or it's underwater. How does it survive? Well, from if you want to Google it and watch it, you'll discover that it actually pulls insects and other things under the water into the bubble, into its underground house, like a spider would catch other things in its web. Pretty amazing, pretty incredible thing. But just as this spider has learned how to, through the power of web building and bubble trapping, you got those? Web building and bubble trapping, it is able to sustain itself, and in an environment which would be deadly to it, it survives. Just as this water spider is in the water, but not of the water, we as Christians need to draw from this parallel that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. As Christians, we are placed into the world, and the world is a particular place that can be very deadly to us. Its practices, its motives, its values, they're all designed to drown us in the ways of the world. And we want to look, before we dive into John uh, 17, we want to look for just a moment at what we begin to discover related to uh, 1 John 2, 15 and 17. It's going to come up on the screen for you. And as it does, you can follow along as I read. And we're going to begin to get a biblical definition of what it means to be of the world. Okay? And so, uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, the word cosmos, or in the Greek, or the word we use for world, is often used by John to refer to the physical world or the people living in the world. Now, in those senses, it would not be incorrect for us to love the world, for we are to love God's creation, and we are to love all the people of the world. Jesus loved the people of the world. He's calling us to be his example. We're to love the people of the world. So in that biblical sense, it would not be wrong for us to love the world. But John, in this context here in 1 John 2, he is using the word to refer to the evil organized system under Satan. And this particular system operates through unbelieving people who are opposed to God. He writes later, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's 1 John 5, 19. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The world operates on the basis of ungodly thoughts, attitudes, motives, values, and goals. It doesn't seek to promote God's glory or submit to his lordship. 
It is in this sense that we must not love the world. Now notice that John gives us three thoughts, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. These have been the temptations Satan has used since the beginning of time, the fall in the garden. Now we're going to look at Genesis 3, 6. It's going to come up. You follow along. And we're going to begin to walk through what this looks like being of the world. And then we're going to have three practical ways this morning that we're going to see how God has given us through Jesus's prayer that we would be as the water spider in the world, but not of the world as the water spiders in the water, but not of the water. So let us look at Genesis 3, 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. The fruit was good for food, desire or lust of the flesh. Now, in our context, most of the time when you hear this preached or taught, it has to do with sexual desire, it has to do with sexual immorality, and it seems to always go there first. That is accurate, but it's not limited to that. This is anything of the flesh. I'm going to give you two examples. One could be overeating and one could be drunkenness. They are equal with desire or lust of the flesh if you wanted to look at it from sexual immorality. It is that which is the desire of the sinful flesh. All right, so let us look at the second part, which is the desire of the eyes. All right, we find that the apple, the fruit was a delight to the eyes. It was pleasing to the eyes, the desire of the eyes. The, deten- the tendency is to be captivated by the outward show of things. So how many of us in this world are attracted and captivated to the outward show of things that the world has placed a value upon that has no value or even existence in the kingdom of God. All right? That's the desires of the eyes. And then the last is pride of life. And as we look to pride of life, we see it in the verse as that which would make one wise. Pride, prestige, power, position, it counts for nothing in the kingdom of God. The ways of the world are wrapped in our flesh, in our eyes, and in our pride. So then we have to protect ourselves from the ways of the world if we're going to be in the world. And we have been given three ways by which to accomplish this. Just as the spider had web building with bubble trapping, we have three things that Jesus has given us that he prayed for us in his high priestly prayer in John 17 that we're going to look at today that I hope you will take the time that God will open your mind, open your heart, that you will be able to lock it in that one of these things, all three of these things, whatever it is that God needs to speak to you, that he will convince you and compel you that these are either missing or needs to be enhanced or needs to be improved or needs to be implemented in your life. So the first thing is sanctified by God's word. 
So we find in the prayer, beginning in verse 14 of John 17, it says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not in the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. I'd like to reread 16. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus upholds the scripture over and over during his ministry. And as he does so, we can draw a a great encouragement or kind of an example from him, if you will. If there is anyone who had the authority to speak on their own authority, it would be Jesus, right? All right. He had the authority to do so, but yet we find all through Scripture he never did. He spoke on the authority of Scripture, on the authority of the Word, on the authority of the truth. So he is praying that we would be sanctified by the truth, by the Word. He is asking God the Father, the creator of heaven and earth, to sanctify the disciples that are with him and those of us who would believe later because of their testimony that we would be set apart for the purpose of the kingdom of God. Powerful, powerful stuff. And here you go, let's go, right? I mean, it needs to get you excited about the fact that if Jesus is praying a prayer and he's praying it from the authority that he has on the word of God, for he is the word of God, all right? In the beginning was the word, the word was God and the word was with God. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So he is the truth. No one comes to the Father except through him. So we can't separate the two, all right? And so let's get excited about what he is beginning to do or he is praying for us so far in advance of us even existing here on this earth. He knew what we would face. And because he knew what we would face, he's praying a prayer for us in advance. Let me, let me phrase it to you this way. Many of you will come to me, come to David, come to someone else on a ministerial staff, and you'll say, this thing's going on. I need you to pray about it. And we pray about it. Well, Jesus has prayed about the most important thing you could ever need prayed for. And I can guarantee you it's going to come true because Jesus has prayed it. Now, that's powerful. Let that sink in for a minute. Jesus says God's word will sanctify us, set us apart from the world for God's purpose. Whether you're worldly or godly is primarily a matter of how you think. Romans 12, 2, Paul tells us not to be worldly. He says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And when I think about this, I think about the fact that our minds are transformed and renewed as we saturate them with God's word so that we think biblically about all of life. Either God's word or this world will be working in our hearts and lives. If we're not being transformed by his word into the image of Jesus, will be conformed to the ways of the world. I think about when I was a teenager playing baseball. In the middle of the hot summer, some of those days were the dirtiest, nastiest, dustiest, hottest days of my life. 
And one of the greatest joys that I would receive wouldn't be the water hose afterwards to get a drink. It would be just to hold it over my head. And just to saturate myself. Oh, it felt so good. Think for just a moment. That's what Jesus is asking to do for each of us in whatever context that plays out in your life, whatever brings you that greatest satisfaction of just, ah. Oh. Jesus wants God's word to saturate over your life that you would be set apart for his purpose, the purpose of the kingdom. Sanctifying doesn't mean growing a halo or glowing into spirituality. Sanctifying means to be set apart for a certain purpose or an intended use. If you take food out of the refrigerator and you set it aside for dinner, in a biblical sense, you have sanctified that food. All right? You chose something, you set it apart, you identified it for a purpose. You've sanctified it. Well, in the greater sense, Jesus is asking the Father to use the word, the truth, to sanctify us, to set us apart for his purpose. God has to do the work. You cannot sanctify yourself. No attempt of yourself to become holy will ever be successful. Sanctification is the process of holiness of the believer as we become more like Jesus. And so as this works itself out in our heart and in our life, we are able to be in the world, but yet we're not of the world because Jesus is telling us in the world is greater than being of the world. For we are to be a light into a dark place. I think it's also important to note that John calls God's word the truth. He doesn't say that God's word contains the truth or that, or that it's one truth among many. Rather, its very essence is truth. It's the absolute truth. It's the standard of truth against which all else is measured. God's truth doesn't vary from culture to culture or from generation to generation. All truth is contained in God's word. There is something in our culture today called relative truth or relativism, and it just basically is this idea or this thought that if it's true for me, then it's truth, and it doesn't necessarily have to be true for you. According to my experience, it works for me, doesn't for you, it's relative to me, so it's true. And I don't know how, if it's true for one and not for the other, it can be True for both. It just, the two don't add up. And so, but that's the culture around relativism. And so there has to be an absolute truth, a true north, so to speak, that everything has to be measured against one standard. And that standard is Jesus, for Jesus is the truth. So let's go back to the documented time in scripture that Jesus prayed for you and prayed for me. And Jesus, who is the truth, is praying that God the Father will sanctify us in who? Him. Now that's powerful, isn't it? 
He didn't set us apart. He's asking God the Father to set us apart by what he has done, for he's about to be glorified on the cross. And he's going to consecrate himself for us so that we can be set apart for God's purpose. Now, we've been given three practical ways. Now, the first practical way is sanctified by the word. Now, the second practical way is that we are to be sent with the same mission as Jesus. Okay? So, in verse 18 and 19, we're to be sent with the same mission as Jesus. As you send me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in the truth. I want you to catch something here. More importantly, it's not what he prayed for, it's what he didn't ask for. Jesus did not ask the Father to take us out of the world or to take his disciples out of the world. He asked that as we were in the world, that we would not be impacted by the world, but that we would be protected of the world and we would impact it by our presence. Philippians 2.15 strikes a good balance. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. We are in a crooked and twisted generation and we have been since Genesis 3.6. It's not going to change. We will be in this twisted and crooked generation until Christ returns in all of his glory and sets the scales balanced. When that happens, we won't worry about this anymore. But until that time comes, we are in this evil, organized world of Satan. We are in it. We live here. We must exist here. But we must not be of it. But we are called to be in it. We are to impact it but not be impacted by it. Some have thought the cure for worldliness is isolation from the world. In the 5th century, Simeon, the stylite, tried to escape from worldliness by living for 36 years on top of a platform that was at the top of a pillar. So, took a platform, put it on top of a pillar to raise him above the world. He spent 36 years on top of that platform to be removed of the world. And history states that thousands upon thousands came to ask his advice and hear him preach. I don't quite think he accomplished what he intended, do you? He didn't remove himself from the world. Well, in modern times, the Amish and some sects of the Mennonites are known for their distinctive clothing and lifestyles that separate them from American culture. You may see them on horse and buggy thinking it's worldly to own or drive cars. Some known as black bumper Mennonites can drive black cars as long as they paint all the worldly chrome black. Again, you're not addressing the issue, you're trying to hide the issue. We've probably experienced more of the other ditch, though. Christians wanting to reach the world have become so much like the world that they're 
are no noticeable differences between us and the world. They claim that they're trying to reach the world for Christ, but all too often their attempts to relate to the world end up compromising biblical absolutes. And here we pause. Jesus' prayer is clear. Being in the world is greater than being of the world. The practical help here is that when we are locked into our mission, the mission of Jesus, we will both walk in holiness and with compassion, sanctified, set apart by the word, sent with the same mission as Jesus. The mission of God keeps us and the temptations of the world in right perspective. When we are focused on our mission, the enemy can't entangle us with the things of this world. You're locked into the mission of God, or are you locked into the mission of God? So the question that you're faced with this morning as we get ready to look at this third and final practical way that we can protect ourselves from an environment that is designed to drown us and destroy us with all of its sin, you must ask yourself, am I locked into the mission of God? Jesus wants me to be on the same mission as he. His word says that he was sent to seek and to save those who were lost. Are you seeking to share the gospel with those who are lost? Does your life, your time, your money, your energy, does it get spent on God's mission or worldly ambitions? So sanctified by God's word, sent with the same mission as Jesus, and third, unified in Jesus so the world might believe. John 17, verses 20 and 21, will give us this third practical way by which we can be in the world but not be of the world. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, they, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Unity is no small request. These were tough-minded, independent, strong-willed men. And as I look around this church, I've been around a lot of you for now over a year or so. There's a lot of strong-minded or let's say tough-minded, strong-willed, independent people. No humor in that at all. <laughs> then I must be right. But that is who we are. We are tough-minded. We want it to be the way we think, our way. But we've got to have unity in the church. This wasn't easy then, and it's not easy today. But it is a must. It is a necessity. Your life should be joined up with other believers. You've got to have other believers around you, not for the purpose of isolating or insulating yourself from the world, but for the purpose of building relationship into the world 
and building relationship with other believers so believers can get the world out of you and get more of Jesus in you. Because to get more of Jesus in you will be a sanctification process, being saturated by the word, having the truth fill you, indwell you, change you. But at the same time, you can't isolate yourself from the world because then you have no impact with the mission that Jesus has sent us on. We weren't called to be monastic. We were called to be evangelistic. And the gospel is that which sends us. And we are to be sent as Jesus was sent. His prayer said, Father, send them as you have sent me. Do you realize we have the exact same mission that God gave his son. Now, Jesus has given to us by the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells us that the Holy Spirit in us, as we looked at last week, is greater than Jesus beside us. There is a purpose in the fact that we are in the world and he did not pray to have us removed. We were not to retreat. We were not to fear We were not to just totally remove ourselves from the world, but we are to be in it, but we're not to become like it. We can't have no distinguishing marks, just as we saw in Philippians, that we are amongst it, but we are to be light in it. I pray that God is speaking to you and I pray the Holy Spirit is working on your heart and on your mind. Maybe you're in here and you're too far away from the world. You're so, you've so isolated yourself and your family. You're, you've insulated and isolated and you don't have any contact with the world. This is a challenge for those of us in church work. A lot of times we can find that Everybody we surround ourselves are with people that are doing the work of the church. And we constantly have to be checking. We constantly have to be identifying where are we failing to get ourselves in the world so that we can be the gospel, the light in the darkness. It's the same for all of us, no matter who you are. No matter where you are, God has placed you there for the purpose of being his message on his mission for his purpose with his word. To you, I say, remember that Jesus was sent to the world to seek and to save the lost. He came to heal the sick, not praise the healthy. He got his hands dirty. He risked reputation for relationship with those far from him. Maybe you're not in a life group. That'd be the first thing I would tell you to do. Maybe you need community that is biblical with other believers. I would challenge you to connect. And oh, by the way, come see me. I'll get you connected. I've been working with most of you for the last year or so trying to help you discover your next steps in ministry, next steps in serving, trying to get you connected to groups, walking alongside you. The greatest, the greatest gift you could give me, the most 
awesome accomplishment that I would ever get out of serving you as a minister here at LifePoint is to help you connect to a place to serve the church. It would give me the greatest pleasure. So you want to do something for me? Sign up to serve. I'll find the place where God has called you to serve. We'll walk through that together no matter how long it takes. We'll find out how you're gifted. We'll find out how you're called. We'll figure out where you fit. And we'll even walk through it together to make sure that you're comfortable in that place. You may be called to be the first contact that someone lost comes onto our campus. You may be the person that God has ordained for them to meet And the way that you interact with them and the way that you serve them could be the difference as to the decisions they make that day. There is great weight and great power in serving. But serving is not just to serve. Serving is about the relational, interpersonal interaction that happens when you serve the church to reach the lost. You need to ask yourself this morning if you're in the other ditch. You're of the world. No one can tell the difference between you and the non-believer. Not that you've isolated and insulated, but you've become so worldly trying to be of the world, trying to be like the world, that no one can see any distinguishing marks. There's no evidence of fruit in your life. So you need to ask yourself, are you in fact a believer? Those who have been saved are also transformed into the image of Christ. Believer, this is what I say to you this morning. Being in the world is greater than being of the world. Go to God's word, set your life on Christ, on Jesus' mission, and lean into the community in the church. These will empower us to live the spiritual disciplines and the spiritual lives that we've been called to so that we can be as the water spider in the water, but not of the water, as believers in the world, but not of the world. For greater, we find in John 17, is being in the world so that the world can be impacted By the power of Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for the privilege that you've given us to gather into your church. And Father, we thank you for your word, for it is truth. All things are measured by it. And Father, this morning I ask that you would lead each and every one to this place of drawing a line in the sand, if you will, and saying, today is the day that I allow myself to be sanctified, set apart for the kingdom of God, letting God do the work in me that he desires to do, that I would not insulate or isolate myself, that I would be on the mission that God has placed me on to carry the gospel to the lost. And whatever that looks like, Whatever that is, I'm in. I'm in. Father, it's my prayer 
that your Holy Spirit moves in a mighty way. That if there's anyone here that has had that moment of realizing that maybe they're not a believer and they don't have a desire to be sanctified, set apart, maybe they've not felt that before. Maybe they realize they're of the world and they realize that your word calls us if we believe in your son, Jesus Christ, not to be of the world. For he gives us the power to separate ourselves from the power of the world. So Father, I pray that you would move. Father, I'm gonna pray a very bold prayer. And Father, I'm gonna ask this morning if there's anyone in this room that does not have a relationship with your son, Jesus Christ, Father, that you would impact them in a way that they would not be able to find a comfortable moment this day, the next day, until they surrender. Father, I pray you would just crawl all over them. Father, we must be united. We must be together that the world can be taken out of us through accountability and relationship, but through that same relationship, we can carry your life-giving gospel into the world. For Father, you have sent us in as you sent your Son. And so Father, today, may we confess where we've not been a part of this mission. Father, may we also commit that we would let you do the sanctifying work that only you can do and we would be on a path of holiness as we join you on the mission of your gospel. Father, that through unity with others, connected here in the relationship of the church, Father, we would be able to show the world who Jesus is that they might believe. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name.